G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Let's start here. It's going to be a great year for the growth of the gospel. It's going to be a great year for the growth of the gospel. I wish I could, uh, I would love to be able to say that without a question mark, without a smirk on my face, without any creeping doubt that maybe I'm just going a little bit too far with a a real confidence in my voice and and that sense of conviction. It's going to be a great year for the growth of the gospel. Uh, And I suspect, and I wonder if um, this occurred to you as well, just as as Alex was reading it to us just a, a few moments ago, I suspect it's precisely what some of the Christians there in Jerusalem were beginning to think to themselves. Uh, Especially at the end of chapter 5, I wonder if that um, occurred to you. I can almost see them forming an image in their mind of how things are going to unfold from there. Uh, It's true, chapter 5, early on, things were pretty disastrous there, actually. Things took a pretty bleak uh, kind of a turn. The, The apostles were slammed in jail. Um, this is the book of Acts, you understand, is, is just after Jesus has um, died, risen from the dead, and in the very first chapter, ascended back to heaven. So they're without Jesus. This is the early uh, post-Jesus on earth ministry of the gospel. And things took a bad turn there. Initially, the apostles slammed in jail. Uh, the Jewish council, the same Jewish council who had early, earlier orchestrated Jesus' death, you understand, <laughs> They had the ringleaders of this new Christian movement in their clutches, do you see? Things were looking pretty bleak. Uh, but mercy of mercies, those Jewish leaders decided to take the, how would you describe it? Wait and see sort of approach there on Gamaliel's um, advice uh, with the apostles. So verse 38, Gamaliel speaking, let's leave them these men alone, verse 38. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. And Gamaliel's speech, verse 40, persuaded them. And so down at verse 41, things are looking seriously up. Things are looking wonderfully bright there. And and you can imagine the pictures that are forming in the minds of the Christians there. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because um, they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of, of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Can you picture the scene there with the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles appointed by the risen Lord Jesus himself, now unchained day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. It's going to be a great year for the growth of the gospel, at least there in Jerusalem, wouldn't you say? They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Never stopped, never stopped, that is, (laughs) until chapter 6, verse 1, some of the Grecian grandmas in the Jerusalem church found themselves the poor little piggies who had none. Day after day after day. And that, friends, was the credible threat to a great year of gospel growth there in Acts chapter 6. 
What a sad year to wake up to. Not the bloodthirsty Sanhedrin, but a little blunder at the soup kitchen. What a strange thing to impede the, the growth of the gospel. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, as we begin our year together, yet another year together, and yeah, an exciting year together, I'd want to say a bit of an ambitious year together, especially if you look at our outreach plan. Uh, it's, not, it's not especially extravagant, but you know, we're hoping to have a, another couples workshop later this year. Probably We've got it pencilled in for August with hands. We've got a, an evangelistic course that we're looking at running around Easter time. Perhaps another kids club around the middle of the year. We're yet to lock that in. Then you've got Easter. What an opportunity for the gospel that is. The, the run-up to Christmas went so well last year with the gingerbread house event. And, and, and then we're also starting up just our regular ministries. And what an opportunity those uh, proved to be, whether it's Sunday school here of a, a Sunday as, as new people come along time to time and bring their children along, youth night on a Friday night or mainly music through the week. I'd like us to give our attention to this pressing question from Acts chapter 6. Humanly speaking, how do we prepare for a great year of gospel growth? Because I suspect we can relate to the conundrum there in the Jerusalem church, because it's true, isn't it? Sometimes the smallest, you know, it's not the, it's not the big powers in the politics. Sometimes it's the smallest, the pettiest, the most fixable, the littlest kerfuffles which in the hands of the devil, that the most seemingly insignificant little hiccup can derail the best laid plans for the growth of the gospel. Hasn't that been our experience down the years from time to time? So the question is how, humanly speaking at least, do we move from the crisis of Acts chapter 6 verse 1 back to that lightness, that brightness, that optimism there in Acts chapter 6 verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's what we're going to look at together. Can we please pray as we come to Acts 6? Our sovereign heavenly father, um, there are some times in our lives and especially some some spheres of our lives where we really crave assurances that are simply not ours to have. Father, we know that we we don't have a specific assurance that this particular year will definitely be a great year for gospel growth for our specific church in the particular terms of new converts to the faith or baptisms or numbers of people. And so, Father, firstly, we come to you in humility And with a posture of faithful dependence, oh God, we rely on you. We depend on the work of your spirit for any meaningful spiritual growth this year, just as any year. It is you who grants the growth. It is Christ who builds his church. But our Heavenly Father, we are acutely aware too of our responsibility in all of this. And Father, it is a thing of sadness to us just what tiny little things get in the way of us being more effective at reaching the lost for the sake of Christ. Sometimes we confess we let tiny things hold us up, either things done or things left undone very often, and we sometimes get to feel frustrated or disappointed or even disillusioned. But Father, we don't want to remain in that place, and certainly not for another year, O God. 
we, we know the phrase well, those who will not learn from history are doomed to repeat its mistakes. And so, our God, we want to learn from your word this morning, please. Lessons that we need to hear. Oh God, would you move us to diligently apply ourselves individually and together to your grand design for this world, namely the salvation of souls through the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask it for the sake of your word here on the eastern shore, spreading and growing and thriving. Oh God, give us insight into your word, coupled with a a hopeful, a joyful and optimistic readiness to perhaps tweak how we do and what we do and why we do it this year, that Christ's name may indeed be lifted up by more people and by us more wholeheartedly. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Acts chapter 5. If you had to sum it up, at least the last half, uh, the last few verses in a word, wacko, you know? What a year we are going to have since, verse 42, day after day, those 12 apostles of the risen Lord Jesus Christ were uh, never stopped, never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. But Acts chapter 6, especially verse 1, disillusionment creeps back into our hearts about just how much progress we're actually going to make this year because, well, it turns out that the Jerusalem church of the time was a pretty normal church, (laughs) a pretty messy church, like a church full of imperfect people. Shock horror. Chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the numbers of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows, that is the Grecian Jews' widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, if you're wondering, hang on a sec, what are these Grecian, Hebraic, what, what, what are those? What do those words even mean? Um, in some ways, that's exactly the point, okay? So, uh, the, the, the distinction is very slight, so what is the distinction? Well, it's not racial, is it? Because they're, but they're all Jews. It's not birthplace. It's just about, as this translation actually that Alex read from um, was alert to, that the distinction is just about which language that they spoke. So the Grecian Jews, they spoke only in Greek, whereas the Hebraic Jews also spoke in the Hebrew or more likely Aramaic uh, of, the, of the, the traditional Jewish languages. But it's worth remembering, they're all Jews. Okay? This, we're talking about a slight, a very small um, distinction. So this isn't the racial kind of lines that the Jew-Gentile kind of conflict, if you're familiar with some of the rest of the New Testament, this isn't even talking about that sort of a conflict with all of that stickiness and prickliness. Uh, it's not that um, racial issue. This is a small, narrow a little tiff, really, and it might just have been a sincere oversight that the Grecian widows were neglected. Uh, nevertheless, everyone's murmuring now in the Jerusalem church and troubles brewing. And of course, sadly, some of us have seen that sort of a thing crop up in churches before, haven't we? On at least two fronts, we've probably felt it. Um, have you been in a church like that? Firstly, we, we know that tiny issues like this can and do, sadly, consume churches very much like ours, bog them down in bickering for who knows how long, 
And it does get us asking, has it ever got you asking, what kind of an environment is this to bring the new converts that the apostles are making into? And on another front, perhaps this is, uh, this is something that was also in the apostles' mind, what does it say about the power of the gospel to unite people from, you know, if the good news of Jesus is good news for everyone, what does it say about the power of the gospel to unite all the peoples of the earth if it can't even keep the first church together? When church gets ugly, it's the credibility of the gospel at some level that's on the line and perhaps you experience that amongst your mates. Oh, I don't mind the idea of Jesus, but I don't really want a bar of church. So, humanly speaking, how did they and how do we prepare for a great year of gospel growth? I reckon the answer, I believe the answer from Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7 is refreshingly simple and uh, let let me reveal it in in three parts if, if I can. So, firstly, we pave the way for gospel growth, firstly, by actively pulling together in partnership, drawing towards one another, pulling together in partnership. Let's take it up from verse 1 there, if we could please, from Acts chapter 6, verse 1. So in those days when the number of disciples uh, was increasing, the Grecian Jews, that they complained because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2, here it comes. So the twelve gathered all the disciples... Together, Do you see the partnership happening there? So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. Now, when I think of um, apostles, apostles appointed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ to carry his message of salvation to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of the nations to uh, speak before rulers and kings, you know, all of this front-page news kind of stuff when I think of the word apostles. Uh, Does this, what we're reading in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, match your expectations of how apostles would handle an issue like hungry widows? I don't know, would you even expect them to get involved (laughs) in an issue like that? as they carry the gospel to the nations and make disciples uh, of of people from the ends of the earth. See, I suspect what we're seeing here is a church that doesn't have a structure, doesn't have offices, hasn't appointed deacons and all the rest, doesn't have the structure yet to deal with these kinds of things. This was the earliest of the early churches. So these men are laying out a blueprint for us. Here is how to face even the small things that stand to undermine the the gospel. Here's how to deal with those little things that would make it weird for a a new convert to come in amongst you and and find their their faith nurtured um, in in your church. Here's here's how uh, to deal with those little issues that would turn your sceptical mate away. Step one, partnership. We face these things together. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. We face these things as partners. Now, um, in our church, do we desire that kind of partnership to deal with the things that stand in the way of getting the gospel out? Do we, between, do we desire that kind of partnership between leaders and congregations? And I don't mean, because we do have lots of, of, of structure now, I don't mean more congregational meetings to address every tiny little thing. Um, I just mean that kind of partnership of of trust 
of expectation, perhaps of generosity towards one another, that will actively muck in together to sort things out that impede the progress of the gospel. Um, it's funny, it, it runs against their personalities, but it, it does it differently, doesn't it? For some of us, an issue crops up and we just want to sweep it under the carpet. <laughs> we just want to ignore it and hope it goes away. We want to stick our head in the sand. We hope it'll magically go away. We don't want to face it and it festers a little longer. We stick our head in a little bit deeper, hoping it will still go away. And, uh, and we avoid and we resist making a time to talk about it or deal with it. For others of us, we have the opposite tendency, don't we? Uh, we will deal with it, <laughs> but you can't really call it a partnership. I think we see here in Acts, don't we, leaders who are humble enough to partner with every disciple, but they are bold enough to expect every disciple to partner with them. I mean, this was the apostles saying, guys, we've got to get together around this. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, now let's keep reading their words because their words reveal our second uh, ingredient in pursuing gospel growth, not just partnership, but here it is. I think their words reveal that the apostles fully expect the entire community to share their priority for the growth of the gospel, uh, to get the gospel out there. So these men, they lay their cards on the table. These are our priorities. They're not negotiable. Uh, but their only question is, how are we together going to make our priority for mission actually work? It's interesting. They, share, they assume such a shared priority together. Let's read it from verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to, to the ministry of the word. So let me rephrase that kind of bluntly uh, for the sake of effect. We know that the widows aren't being fed, some of them, so we propose a solution that will enable mission to thrive. You see the shared priority there? We know that some of the widows aren't being fed, so we propose a solution that will enable mission to thrive. Is it, it's, it's, they're assuming quite a shared priority there, aren't they? I think it works something like this. They don't try to sort out the health of their congregation before going on mission together. Why? Because they know they'd never start. No, they instead, when you share a priority for mission as a congregation, you can't help but address the spiritual health of your congregation along the way, do you see? Now, is that kind of a shared priority to get the gospel out there? Is that why we appoint deacons? Or Sunday school leaders? Or managers to the board? Or musicians? Or whomever it might be? Oh, perhaps it should be. You know, perhaps that should be more in the forefront of our minds. What's going to help us grow the gospel? What's going to help us get the gospel out there more? Imagine that. The question then becomes not just, how can I teach these kids the lesson this coming Sunday morning? Instead, it becomes, how can I prepare these kids to carry the gospel to their classroom at school this coming week? 
And that's going to force me, isn't it, to then face the spiritual issues in the lives of those kids, but with such a sense of shared purpose in it. Uh, The question becomes not just can that deacon or candidate for deacon administer a food voucher, it becomes how can they help our congregation carry the gospel to the world and reach more people? And perhaps specifically, and, and thinking in the context of Acts there, how can they help us have integrity as a whole congregation so that the obvious acts of love, you know, like feeding widows, for example don't get overlooked and left off and neglected in this drive to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ? You know, how can they help our congregation abound in acts of love along the way in a way that displays the gospel in real lives and even down to the detail of lives when people come in amongst us and visit us and see how we operate as a church? How can our deacons help us do that? Will the appointment of that new elder serve to expand our capacity to carry the gospel to new people rather than simply and maybe a little cynically whose turn is next how many years is it since i was on before you know those sorts of questions now the third and final element of our plan to prepare for a great year of gospel growth is the actual appointment so yes they partner together and yes they hold that priority for the growth of the gospel um, very much in common there Uh, But what is it that feeds the widows, that uh, frees the apostles to pray and to devote themselves to the ministry of the word? It's this last step. It's that they actually appoint them. They set them to it. They trust them to to get on and do it. They know that it's going to be done then. Uh, Here it is. So from verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And then they just they, they get on and do exactly what the, the apostles suggested. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. That's the same guy who later in the chapter is preaching. Uh, and, and Philip, again, another able speaker, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so, verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So, brothers and sisters, I I think there's a beautiful picture of a church that partners together, that shares a priority, that actually appoints and entrusts people to to get on in partnership with one another. When we appoint one another to various areas of ministry, whether it's some coalface evangelism or whether it's the kitchen sink here on a Sunday morning, whether it's the stretching experience, and I know it's a stretching experience teaching little kids, the stretching experience of Sunday school, or the scrubbing the windows to make the glass a little cleaner uh, on, the, on the front door just out there, we appoint one another to it because we know it'll cost the gospel and the growth of the gospel if those things are left undone. Is that the reason that we appoint people to different tasks? When the apostles appointed those seven men, they were acutely aware, brothers, either you do this task and you do it well, and so choose trustworthy people. Either you do this task and do it well, or we're going to have to choose 
between speaking the gospel or serving soup. They trusted one another to do it. And, and that may make it sound like, um, I don't know, gosh, kind of daunting, you know. We, we either carry um, the, the load or, or, so, or what, you know, what, what something's going to fail. The gospel doesn't get preached because I didn't clean the glass cleanly enough on, on the front door or something. Uh, the, the gospel doesn't go out because I didn't wash those cups quite well enough. Well, in some ways, um, yes, kind of, it is the case, isn't it? It does, it does affect in some small way. Uh, but in a sense, isn't it also ennobling? Because it shows the dignity and the worth and the significance of even doing the little things in a church family like ours and doing them well and doing them with care and attention uh, maybe even the things that nobody seems to particularly notice, doing them so that we can rely on one another, so that we know that they're done, uh, so that we can trust one another. It, it, it hands our tasks back to us, whatever they are, however small they are, I think, with a sense of worth and significance and dignity. Um, I count the money on a Sunday morning because I know that it helps get the gospel out. I, I bring the flowers to, to soften the stage and, and make things a little more beautiful because I know that somehow it contributes to uh, the gospel being heard with clarity and winsomeness. I feed the hungry savages on Friday afternoon at youth night so that their minds are alert to be equipped to take the gospel to their schools and their classrooms and their lunchtimes in the coming week. It's quite a vision, I think, brothers and sisters, and I'm quite excited about as we more and more step into a partnership of shared priority with one another appointed to uh, fulfil the duties that we've given one another, uh, I'm quite excited about the year of gospel growth ahead. Brothers and sisters, with that in mind, it is my earnest prayer that this year be a great year for the growth of the gospel here on the Eastern Shore, generally here in Howrah, here at Good News Church, uh, more narrowly. Not because we deserve it, or because our efforts, you know, twist God's arm that he ought... No, no, no. We don't deserve it. <laughs> Not because we'll do it perfectly. Because we won't. You can be sure of that. I won't. You can be sure of that. But as we strive to never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, as the apostles did, let us expectantly look to the God who gives the growth. Can we pray together? Yes, our Father in heaven, we would be a church by your grace whose inner life reflects our Saviour's outward focus and the outward focus of his apostles as they followed in his footsteps. Christ Jesus, we know, looked not for himself. He came not for himself. He walked to Jerusalem and to the cross not for himself. So, Father, may we be possessed, please, of the same passion and priority, moved to partner with one another and cooperate in all diligence that the name of Jesus might resound out from us all the more this year. Father, we pray for people in our midst as a church, in our circles. Father, especially we pray for those in our families as well as our friends and those in our classrooms and club rooms this year, that they come to Christ, 
that they come to Christ this year. By the power of your mighty spirit, Father, work in them, strive through us, all to your glory, we ask. And Father, we ask one more thing. Would you please grant that we be an ever more joyful people this year? Um, For many of us, the prospect of outreach is kind of daunting and a bit fearsome. Uh, But Father, we remember too the lightness and expectation, the apparent optimism of those early Christians. And we remember why they had it, because like us, they had a great saviour. Like us, they experienced immeasurable grace from your hand, a wonderful forgiveness, a firm security and assurance, because like us, they encountered the love of God that propelled them out into the world. And we ask, Father, that we'd not only experience more of that, but that we'd really thrive in joy and gratitude and spiritual warmth, both individually and together this year. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.